when you begin to get away from that fundamental principle, that apart from him, you can do nothing. You can achieve or build nothing. Every time we get away from that, we are walking into danger. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Our reading today is from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Depending on what circles you, you run in, uh, this question may or may not make sense. But um, Marvel or DC? Marvel or DC? DC, we have some DC people. Marvel, Marvel. All right, good. I'm in good company. For those who are mystified by this, by this question, Marvel and Detective Comics were two different publishers uh, in the comic book world. The two biggest, probably, I imagine. And... Detective Comics were famous for all the heroes you probably are, would recognize the, the most. It was the older than Marvel. And that's Superman, Batman, Aqua. That's, that's the DC universe. Justice League, all that stuff. And Wonder Woman. Yeah, there you go. My wife's favorite. And, uh, and the, but then Marvel had it. Marvel was a little more edgy. Marvel had the X-Men. and had it, had, it was a little more creative and wild and and fancy free, and, and it had a little bit more, I think a little more authentic story to it, a little more fun to, and it was all the mutants and all that kind of stuff. But what, what are these? I, 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 don't, I don't know if I have a lot of wisdom to offer you right this moment about this, but what are these? 
I've, there's some way this connects to the text I want us to see. What are these fantasies? What are they? I, ideas? That, well, the, I, 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 what, 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 what function do they serve for us? Why do they please us so deeply? Ideals, very good. They're really like a fantasy. They're a fantasy about being powerful. And I think the fantasy about being powerful is one of the most beguiling, seductive fantasies that the world offers us, that our own souls offer us, our own wickedness and our own flesh. And it's the fantasy of being powerful. I want to be powerful. I remember the, uh, the comic book ads in the back of the comic books. And one of them I remember very clearly as a kid. And it was this guy, some Atlas guy like this. Oh, it was actually a little comic book itself. And the first part of the comic book, I'm remembering it right now off the top of my head. And it's never good when I start talking at the top of my head, but that's where we're going because that's where the Spirit's taking us. So, so anyway, I would, I would read these little, com- there'll be a little comic selling uh, uh, a supplement. And it would show some kid getting sand kicked in his face. You remember these, Scott, don't you? And, and, and then in the next, in the next, in the next uh, part of the comic, the next page, it would, uh, the next, uh, what do you call it? Little block there. Panel, thank you. Frame. It would have uh, him getting this supplement. And then the final frame was him as an atlas. Now at the beach with women around him, you know? <laughs> and you know, and uh, sex and power and, you know, and, uh, it's a fantasy. And it's, it's extraordinarily beguiling. I, and and, and I, wanna, I want you to catch today something that maybe you haven't done before. And I want you to catch today. I hope you hear it. I want to hear Jesus just kind of stop short that fantasy. I want you to hear that. And I, and I want us to learn how we can hear it deep, more deeply. Christ cut short such fantasies. Abruptly, powerfully, fiercely, with his own grandeur and love, with his own power and presence. He challenges that fantasy of your heart. He challenges, and you know what he does more than challenge it? He rejects it. He kicks it out the door. He's not interested in your bid, your desire, your fantasy to have power. I don't know how that fantasy looks like, whether it's money, a physique, uh, uh, status, fame. They're all calling. And these, these martyr Avengers, they just catch you up in the, in the fantasy of having power. And I see Christ rebuking it right here, right now, this morning. And he's doing it to me as sure as he's going to do it to you if the Spirit will give us the power to see it. Because what he winds up saying is, you have nothing. There's this wonderful, it's almost kind of catches you a little bit off guard if you're not paying attention to it. And the Greek is even harder to translate. This idea has come up before in John. In John 3, 27, John, John says it to his disciples because his disciples have a fantasy of spiritual power. What does that, what does that fantasy look like? Big church. Big church, lots of authority, lots of people, lots of money, right? They have a fantasy. And they say, everybody's leaving our church, John. They're going to that guy, Jesus. And Jesus, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now, this is attempting, in the language here, to capture the absolute negation that Christ is trying to communicate to you. It's a double negative. And double negatives in English don't work. You ain't got no, you see what I mean? You, you, can't, you can't really do it well grammatically. But these are emphatic double negatives in the Greek. 
So John answers, and his answer is kind of, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of big. It's impersonal almost. Nobody can receive anything, not even one thing. The double negative's there in the Greek, unless it's given to him from heaven. As John articulates the principle and tries to explode the dangerous and delusional fantasies of spiritual power that his own disciples have given voice to. Now, let's take, now Christ picks up the same, John puts it in his mouth because it's what Christ said. And, and John, and, and here Christ says the same thing. But you notice he orient, he doesn't orient it as a principle. Because remember, there's no principles higher than God. If there's a principle higher than God, then that's God. You see, God does not sit below principles. God is God, right? And so what, is, what does Jesus do when he restates John's principle, the principle that John understands, I think, because of the Holy Spirit? We know the Holy Spirit was in him fully, freely. Now, what Christ personifies it. He even, he, he personifies it with the I am name, declaring himself God, and then he personalizes it and connects the principle to him. There is no eternal principle outside of Jesus himself, right? And he, and he lays it out. Apart from me, nothing. Give up the fantasies of power, for they take you away from me. Hmm. Now, I won't explore this because I want us to Look, I guess in one sense, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I can. I, you know, I was thinking about this morning about the, the program that I have before me and this, this intention, the goal of the sermon to, to convince you that you ought to, you ought to understand you have nothing to offer Jesus. <laughs> to convince you that, that your best attempts and your best hopes and your brightest fantasies of power are, are useless. And more worse than useless, destructive. <laughs> and will blind you to the grace, to the mercy, to the beauty, to the power, to the divinity, to the provision that lies in Jesus himself. <laughs> Praise him. <laughs> Praise him with highest praise. Good morning, Sarah. Come on in. Uh, uh, I, uh, to, to convince you to be nothing. Well, why is this so important? Ah, uh, let me, this is important. I don't know if you don't know Jesus. Some of you may not know him in a way that has changed you. If you don't know him that way, that's, this is for you. And some of you have known him a long time. And, and this is also for you. It's for all of us. Now, the first person it's for is for you. You can't come to heaven or to God without the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross because you have nothing to offer Jesus or God. There's nothing you can do, Katie, to please God. It's utterly impossible for you to do it yourself. And what we are introducing this first principle is if you would have new life in Jesus, new life today because of his love, new life because you called out for it and he gave it, it'll happen when you bring to Jesus nothing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. When you bring nothing and present nothing about your works or your thoughts or your attitudes or your religiosity or your spirituality that means worth anything to God, it's the only way in. <laughs> it's the only way, only way to get access to his love and his power. It's the only way to know him is to have ultimately surrendered all of your hopes to be a good woman, to be a good man, to be a good person. The, that, that is the most dangerous fantasy of all. And it's just like the Avengers fantasies, the fantasy that you can please God yourself. 
Run away from that and run to him now and you'll discover in that nothingness, in that vacuum that you've exposed in your heart of worthless deeds, you'll find life and life abundantly. All right, but I want to go further than that. How about, I want it to go further than this because I, this is something I've seen. I want us to see as a believer, all of us together. I've been mean, really wrestling with how to communicate this. Have you ever known an addict? Well, anybody... Sometimes we have addicts in our lives, and our families. Somewhere in our lives we'll have somebody who's an addict. And they can often appear like a puzzle to us. How can they not say no to the things that are destroying them? How can they not seem to understand or see what is so plain to everyone watching? That they have nothing. <laughs> that their fantasies of power over their addiction are empty. But there's something funny about that. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with, AA, uh, with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, but AA has a starting point. It has a beginning point, an entry point into hope. And they borrowed that from here. Yes, they did. They borrowed it from our faith. And what they borrowed was this. You are powerless over your addiction, and you can't move forward with your addiction until you see it. Now, if you didn't know an addict, uh, one of my best friends is one. And I remember over the years getting to know him, you know, seeing him fall and fall again. I could always tell what he was about to use. You know how I knew it? He was independent of a need for me, Jesus, or anybody. He had forgotten the first principle. He had forgotten the introductory, the foundational principle in his addiction that he had to understand his own powerlessness in order to have victory. And I think it's true about you and me too. Oh yes, because our addictions just happen to be culturally approved. Yes, they are. Addictions to success, addictions to uh, uh, people liking us, addictions to wine, desire, things we cannot, look, you know what? Here, I'll give you my addiction. And it's such, I, I'm ashamed. But if you watch me, you'll catch me wanting to be something, like wanting to be somebody, wanting to be important. You'll catch me doing it. It's a shameful thing because I hunger. I am addicted. I'm like a wino with a bottle when it comes to other people thinking I'm a great guy. Isn't that awful? I confess it before you. It's shameful. There's no hope in it, no power, no joy, and no freedom. What am I trying to convince you of here? At every, any point in your life, on your journey, when you begin to get away from that fundamental principle, that apart from him, you can do nothing. You can achieve or build nothing. Every time we get away from that, we are walking into danger. And every time we return to it, and, how, and when we learn to return to it quickly, returning quickly from our, returning quickly that he is our all, our something, he makes us something, his, our nothing is his, the waste way he works. When we learn this, we begin to grow. It's a really strange principle, but the, I, I hope you hear it's the absolute principle that you cannot do without. I even, it's funny, in one of the commentaries, it said here, well, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And I, and I remember they were saying, yeah, well, Jesus obviously isn't talking about everything. He's talking about pleasing God. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. That's the theological meaning of that verse. But you know, when Jesus sits on his throne, these atoms cohere because he says so. 
So everything you do, everything you have is from his abundance and his provision. There is the place where you are something apart from him is the ultimate fantasy. It's evil and it's wrong. Yeah. So what I'm encouraging you to do is realize you're nothing. You have nothing. Huh, how am I going to do that? Because there's one thing this culture keeps telling you over and over again is you're somebody. In fact, you need to f- be all you can be, right? And, and, and it, wants to, it wants to believe and teach you something very different. All right, so I'm going to cover two kinds of people here, and we'll move on to our next point. But the, I want to cover this, this success-failure problem a little bit like this whole nothingness. Some of you resist this teaching because you've just worked pretty darn hard. Honestly, when it comes down to it, this, this my grandmother was an immigrant. Immigrants tend to classically have this problem, right? Because they got here with nothing and they built and they built and they worked and they worked and they tend to have a perspective. They tend to, I'm not picking on my wife here. Uh, <laughs> just realize, <laughs> sounds like my wife's an immigrant. <laughs> well, maybe I am, but let, 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 let Jesus speak to her. Don't worry about that. Uh, but, my, but my family has this problem, and that is you do it. You did it. And it's very hard for that person. Uh, with all that they have in their life, they believe the fantasy, you see? And they tend to believe it about themselves. And they tend to judge others who don't make it. And they can't live as if they have nothing to give Jesus. Are you caught in that trap today? Are you caught in the trap where, 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 you, where you find yourself self-righteously condemning others because they haven't done what they could have done with what they've been given? As if what you had wasn't given? Just gratis? Oh, yes, it is. He is the king. He has told you. There's another kind of person, though, too. And this is the person who, for whom when I say you're nothing, you go, I am nothing. <laughs> like, this is me. Like, this, is all, yeah, this is where I go. I go to, so, uh, here, let me give you an example the, with a, one of my favorite jokes. And you've, some of you may have heard me say it over the years. I don't often tell jokes from the pulpit, but this one's worth it. So in the synagogue one day, the cantor is reading the scripture, and he comes, he's, he's overwhelmed by the, the passage they're in. And he spontaneously cries out in the synagogue and, and worship, I am nothing. I am nothing. I am nothing. The cantor says, the rabbi standing next to him. The rabbi, before the synagogue and worship, he is moved, too is moved. And he cries out, I am nothing. I am nothing. I am nothing. Well, in the back of the synagogue is the Seamus. The Seamus is the janitor, the lowest of the low in the entire community. He, too, is moved by worship and cries out, I am nothing, I am nothing, I am nothing, in the midst of the synagogue worship. The cantor leans into the rabbi and says, oh, look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> Your nothingness is not a something either. See, what I tend to do is I tend to take my nothingness, and that's my badge. That's what I've got. But it's nothing. But I own it with pride. Like, well, no, I, I, and I, and I, and, and this is a, this is a trap where this idea of us being reduced, being reduced absolutely by our Savior, it's it, where we're, we're going to go. Well, yeah, I'm nothing, but I want to finesse that, or maybe I want to sit there because you're not meant to sit there. It's a through point. 
It's a way station. It's a doorway. It's not a destination, guys. Being nothing is not the destination. You can hear it in his own turn of phrase, apart from me. You see, there's, there's a meant to be in it, a call and a drive and an attraction. So let's, let's, that's what I want to explore together. Now, has G, have you, Jesus needs to call you to be nothing. You need to hear it. I want to end this section with one, this first point with one more point. Ask Jesus to make this truth real to you. It's very, very hard for us to know how to live in this kind of a truth. We don't, well, what do I do? What do I not do? How do I understand my salvation? How do I not understand it? Ask the Lord to reveal this to you. Ask him to show you. Ask the Holy Spirit to do this work because it's beyond my ability as a preacher. See, I can't do this to your heart. We all want to be something. It's so hard to learn that we have nothing apart from him. Let's go on now because I want us to be attracted to Jesus' nothing. What? Jesus is nothing. Jesus has a nothing to offer you. Jesus has a nothing, just like your nothing. But his nothing is not just like yours, is it? His nothing creates everything. What am I talking about? Greater love has no one than this, than what? That someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, is Christ idly musing for their information and for his disciples on what the character of friendship and love is? I don't think so. Although that's certainly part of the teaching. What is he setting up? What is he, what is he putting up before them? What he's about to do at the cross. What he's about to do in love for them. So they will know this is love and know this is the work of love and know that that work of love is the work they're to be doing. We're going we're gonna to go there, but maybe this will help you see it better. Jesus' nothing is greater than all human somethings. Where did, where did he become nothing? On the cross. Don't you remember? He hangs there. He dies. There's no way to glamorize this for you. There's no way for me to, to make this picture pretty or, or antiseptic or, or clean. It isn't. He becomes nothing. And his becoming nothing as the God-man, as the great I am, as the Savior of the world, his nothing gives us everything. <laughs> All things in abundance and joy. And we have to enter into his nothing. I am... I, um, it's funny, you know, I, I, I haven't even opened my notes yet, which is why I realize I'm off my own outline. Um, but I want you to see it here. This is actually a, a, a line from a famous story. The, um, the head of the China Inland Mission was meeting with another great teacher at the time. It's about 150 years ago. And these two great men of God, one turned to the other and said, Dear brother, pray that I become nothing. And I think it was Newell who turned around and said, Dear brother, oh dear brother, take it on faith. You are nothing. You are nothing. Why should we take that on faith? Because if we have faith in him, he becomes our something. He becomes the one who makes nothing into glorious life, into glorious potential and hope, into all sorts of joy and freedom. You know, the dark ride of the cross, the dark ride of death, that Jesus rides like, a, like the worst roller coaster of history, 
is also a bright, sunny, beautiful picture of life at the same. It brings. His dark ride of death brings new bright life into the world. Praise him. There is nobody like him. And he introduces a new principle into all of the world through the gospel, all the world through his blood and his righteousness. And what's that? Well, now we know the world is wrong and so are the Avengers. Because the way up is now the way down. Praise him. What am I talking about? Would you, if you would ascend, if you would aspire, if you would want to go to heaven and know and talk to God, if you would have a faith that would conquer the world and, and be stronger than any, if you would be a great saint for God and want power, all those things we dream about being able to do for Jesus back when we were in high school, <laughs> junior high, is met here, what? The way down. What's the way? I am nothing. Without you, I am nothing. And what am I doing at that moment? I'm ascending. The way up is the way down. Have you clued into this process in your life yet? <laughs> no, we don't. We often resist this. This is very hard for us because we wanted it to be a little bit different. We wanted a victory. We wanted the fantasy, didn't we? We wanted the, we wanted the super Christian superhero fantasy. Don't I look like a Christian superhero? <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit. Come on a little bit. Now, those of you who know me know the truth. I'm not. My wife knows it better than anybody else here. She is not in any way deluded about this. She does not see a superhero. She sees somebody who's on the way down so many times, only to also see that Jesus takes me back up. Praise him. Now, I know we tend to resist going to zero and less than zero and the fears that are there in our own death and our own failures. I know we resist the moving towards zero. We don't want it to happen. We don't want to be there. I know that. So in the midst of this process in this life, we must become people who make our home with Jesus and abide in him. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, the way up and way down and the, the fantasy of power and apart from him, you can do nothing. All this passage is meant to do is be an invitation to his homemaking love. You know, I, I remember when I was, when we were, uh, when we were uh, singing the song, uh, A Mighty Fortress. I don't know if Peter chose it for this reason, but several times in the last, the last verse or second to last, it uses the word Abide abides, the word abides. Well, that's in our text, isn't it? And I was sitting there singing it. And I, that's one of my favorite hymns of all time. I've sung it in many lonely, I've sung it in many way down situations. <laughs> Only to be brought back up. And, um, and I, was, I was singing it and I, it hit me because I've been trying to translate abide effectively. And I don't like the word. It's antique. It's nobody talks about abiding. You know, I, nobody says that. Nobody. Is there any place in our common parlance where that's become a turn of phrase? Even I don't think so. It's very distinctively Christian. It's very distinctly biblical. And that, for that reason, I don't like it. And the reason I don't like that is because you tend to package and we tend to, I do the same thing. We package in these ideas, our own theological notions, and we lose track of the language. We lose track of the urgency. We lose track of the beauty and we lose track of the precious promises to us in abiding. What is this abiding? And I was sitting there saying, and I suddenly hit, I remembered. Did you, I don't know if you ever, did you, anybody ever, did they have homemaking classes when you were in high school? I remember this. They had homemaking classes. And the reason you took a homemaking class is because it was so stinking easy. But 
It was an easy credit, right? And I remember I remember this, and I remember being in the class to get the easy credit. And this is in the 80s, and you know, ha, you know, I think, huh? I, I, for me, it was the 80s. And uh, <laughs> it, it, in the 90s, they were still around in Canada. Oh, me. <laughs> But this whole idea of the homemaker, this whole, it's such a comfy, cozy, humble, attractive, sweet, wholesome, immediate image, isn't it? And it's the image that Jesus wants you to have of his heart. He's a homemaker. He's got all the the stuff of being a homemaker. And where does he make his home? With those who know they're nothing apart from him. Praise him. I want to present to you a Jesus that you, that you desperately want because he's such a kind Savior who became nothing for your sake. He emptied himself of all but love, as our song says. Ah, so what I want to do, I want us to learn to abide. I want us to learn how, how do we make our home in him in a way, or how do we get him to make his home in us? And I think that there's some clues to this. I got this from Dale Bruner's wonderful Wonderful commentary on this. And I really thought it was winsome. And what he does is he mines John for everywhere that the word abide is used in a discipleship context. And it is beautiful. I want you to see the first two here from John 1, 38 through 42 and John 4, 39 through 41. These are, this is first the introduction to disciples. And then Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you abiding? Where are you making your home? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was abiding, where he was staying there, where he was making his home. And they made their home with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. That's very powerful because the whole idea they made their home, they never leave after this. You know that. They're with him the entire time. This is just the beginning. And they, then, then they invite others. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked and said, they've got a new name. Then John 4, this is the town tramp. Remember her? We met her. She's the, she's the one that everybody, everybody would have despised who Jesus loved. And in John 4, many Samaritans now, because of her faith, come from that town, believed in him because of a woman's testimony. And he told, told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to abide with them. And he abided there. He made his home there. Three days. What's the first thing we notice about abiding? It's so, I'm sorry, it's with, it's, say again, with, with right, very, very good, yeah, that, that there's an other involved, right, yeah, it's an abiding with him personally. Before you even go there, I want to get even more basic than that. It's so, this, he got it, it's so ordinary. Do you catch that? The discipleship of Jesus and the abiding with him and with others in community is what? Ordinary. It's as casual as, hey, I think I'm going to come over to your place tonight. Hey, we're going to hang out tomorrow. What's happening in that and in the motion when you said, I'll go to worship today? What's happening here? What's happening when you go to Bible? All these different places where we interact and interface and love each other. What's happening? One of the beautiful things about abiding is the way that it's pictured so in such an ordinary way. Is it the ordinary part of your life? It's meant to be ordinary, where you're talking about Jesus and you're talking to him as casually as if he was sitting there for dinner. That is abiding, right? An open communication with him and before him and with others that just simply exists. What are you doing? 
I'm just abiding. It's a wonderfully peaceful idea, right? It's this idea of rest and, 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 and family, of home and hearth. Good grief, is it any wonder that the central right is, a, is the table? Well, look at, he uses that, the word abiding there too. We'll look at that now. So first, it's just ordinary. And I want you to hear this. We need to make this Bible the ordinary part of your life. It should be so ordinary that you pick this up. You see what I mean? It should be that. I'm sorry. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> I need to bring a Bible prop to church so I can wave it around. So that it filters down into the grits, into the grit, into the daily routines. And, and until it does this, abiding is just a, a theoretical concept. And you're not going to understand how your nothingness can be made into something. You're going to be constantly stumbling around. Regularly, it's so ordinary. But then something else happens. So here, the first two, it's ordinary. John 6, 56, though, is extraordinary. So this is what's common. Adele and I can abide. Jesus is with us. And we've abided before like that. We've, we've had that happen. It's a sweet moment. But then Jesus says, but I want to add to that. I want to add to it a meal where I will, by faith in the Holy Spirit, appear with actual immediate grace in some bread and a little juice. And some bread and a little wine. Oh, do you hear it? Abiding is ordinary. And then in the midst of all that abiding, it's so extraordinary. I will become one with you. I will fill you. I will be in you. You will be in me. I will take the stuff of my life and the stuff of my rescue and the stuff of my eternal love. I will take that stuff like it's a piece of bread I'll take it and I'll put it in you and it will go in and it will become a part of you. So your fingers and your days and your hours and your minutes are what? Filled with Jesus. Every week we come to this table because every week we are saying, apart from you, Father, we can do nothing. <laughs> apart from you, Jesus, we are not powerful. How extraordinary. And this is why every week I do the uh, invitation and that warning. I always put up a warning. And uh, somebody asked me about that recently. Why, why is there always a warning? Because remember, my warning is always this. This table is not for good people. And I think that warning for every, every sinner who's hungry for grace is the warning that brings life, right? For all of the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And we understand that even the prohibition, don't come to the table. If you think you're a good person, means what? Simon gets to go to the table, right? I get to go to the table because I'm nothing. <laughs> He's my everything. Praise him. And Jesus becomes our everything in his, in his blood. This is, why this, is, this is why we do it every week. Because in a sense, after I'm done preaching, this will be your first application of abiding, making your home, him making his home in you, and you making your home in him. What a sweet savior. Then let's look at the final one. That's not, that's not the final, the third one, then we'll have one more. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, abiding in the word. That's uh, kind of rehashing what we just said, but there's something else here. I want you to see it, even though I just ignore the boldness there, the bold print. I want to get back to the text for a second here. Look at verse three, already you are clean. Now that word there, it's the same word for prunes. They're both the same word, cleaning and pruning, cleaning and pruning, cleaning and pruning. Um, it's the word cath catharoi. It's where the word you get the word cathartic or catheter. 
that which cleanses, that which, which removes something else. Now, that which cleans. So what's this third abiding? It's, 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 it's not ordinary or extraordinary. It's the, um, it's the functional content. It's the content of the word at work in your heart. You see, you and I, because we're nothing, and we don't have a very good perspective on God's something. <laughs> we don't understand that his words inhabit us. And when we, we make our home in his words, we're in, a sense, we're in a sense making our thoughts his thoughts. And we're making his attitudes our attitudes. And we're making his promises our promises in life. And we're, and we're filling in the blanks, not with, not with the promises of being a superhero, but with the promises of our superhero, Jesus you see. And so that he is a part, and there's this wonderful invitation to fill your consciousness. And by filling your consciousness with the word, it winds up cutting out some of the crap, some of the garbage, pruning, right? That's what, that's what being in the word does. It, it prunes your thinking and then cleans, cleans out the soul. Holiness. In other words, you can't be holy. You can't hope to be something in the kingdom unless you know you're nothing. You have nothing, and you need the word. Praise him. He's given you, he's, get, he's given us so much to hope in, hasn't he? In him. And I'm making our home in him. And the final one is this one here. If you keep my commands, you will what? Abide in my love. Just as I keep my father's commands and abide. I make my home in his love. What's happening here now? This is the final mystery, guys. You know what Jesus winds up saying is, all right, let's, let's uh, you know, this, this intimacy I have with Cedric and our love together and our friendship, that exists because of the Father and how the Father loves the Son and how the Son loves the Father. What's happening here? This is burning with eternal love and power. And if you don't know that, you don't know anything about the church. You haven't yet grasped why this worship and this community is so vital. Because in it, we taste and know the eternal trinity of our Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pulled down so that you and I together, we become people, we're, we're, we're living. We're making our room, we're making our home in what? In the Trinitarian love of God. I look, you know, I get to this point in these mysteries, and I get to this point of like this idea of abiding. Now, I realize I'm just a beggar. I just realize, how do I even communicate to you what is so amazing in this marriage or in our friendships and in our community and what is being figured forth out of an eternal love by the Father? Look, honestly, in the end, I'm a failure. Do you see that? I can't do it. I can't. Describe the very things I, I'm wanting to describe because they beggar all description. Praise him. <laughs> How wonderful. Let me give you a clue, though. Let's go back to our superheroes, if you will. Our superheroes that we started with. There's one thing that Marvel and DC get right, though. There's all the superheroes. You know, they all have one characteristic in common. Every one of them. Every true superhero, and we all know it right away. And Marvel and DC nail it. It's when a man or a woman will give their life for somebody else. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. 
That's the great hero, right? All that, all that fantasy of superpowers, it's just empty. But in the end, the human heart reaches out to grasp the love of Jesus in the end because it wants somebody, it wants to know there's somebody who'll die for you. It wants to know there's somebody out there who would give their life for you. That there's somebody who treasures you like that. That's a hunger deep in the soul that somebody would care enough to die for me. And that's Jesus now. But you hear it now, what do you and I become? What becomes the tenor and tone of my love for my wife and your love for yours and our love for each other, our friendships? What becomes their tenor, their tone, their attitude? How can I die for you? You see, it's really funny. We reenact all of this story every time we die to ourselves in loving other people. When we die to our ambitions, our hopes and comforts, when we die to our schedules and our checkbooks, when we're making, when we're literally dying so that others can live. And we become, in effect, in our community, little Jesuses, little animate Jesuses, and because apart from him, we can't do anything. But now with him and making our home in him, oh, oh, guys, the sky's the limit. I don't know what's possible here and what, what is possible now that he is here. I want to end with this. Just this, this translation now. I, I told uh, Lindsay I wouldn't do this because she loves the word abide, but I don't care. She's not here. Uh, I, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Right, before I even start, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come do the work we can't do. Make your word abide in us, live in us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray you'll see this with fresh eyes. And yes, I noticed it says John 15, one through eight, and it's been bugging me the whole time. All right, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, and, and it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Make your home in me. Die in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it makes its home in the vine, neither can you, unless you make your home in me. <laughs> I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever makes their home in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from him, you can do nothing. For me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not make their home in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you make your home in me and my words find a home in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Make your home in my love. <laughs> I think that sounds so beautiful when it's translated that way, isn't it? If you keep my commands, you will make your home in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and make my home in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I can't wait to get to all this stuff in the text. All right, there's so much here. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this and someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me. And I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should make 
Oh, you catch this? You catch how we're enacting what God is? Uh, anyway, all right, sorry. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so you'll love one another. Okay, I've spoken far too long. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray it would have power with us. Come make your home with us and teach us to make our home with you. <laughs> what a precious, precious Savior you are. I, I thank you that you... You take our nothingness and you just make it into something. You do something with it that I cannot believe. I pray that uh, you would teach us how to abide, how to live, how to make our home in your love and with you. You'd show us the ways to it, to make it ordinary and extraordinary, to fill the content of our lives and to make us the kind of people. That's what we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to do because we can't do it. Apart from you, we got nothing. We turn to you now. For all are somethings. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after the meal, he took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is our first application of the message. Right? Jesus is our everything. He is our meal. He is our sustenance. I invite you, if you're a sinner who believes in Jesus, to come and get this table. <laughs> I don't care what church you're coming from or where you've been. If you know Jesus and you know the truth of the I am in him and who he is, and this is your table and you know you're nothing apart from him, then get up there. Get to the meal. You know, honestly, sometimes... This truth is so real to me, I get desperate for it. <laughs> if you feel desperate, you can get up there. But let me issue a warning like I did before. Let me reiterate. There's a warning and a, and, a, and a barrier. You can't come to Jesus if you think you don't need him. If you think you're a good person, you missed the whole point. You're still standing outside. And I'm just hoping you're going to come in because it's cold out there working for your own salvation. Finally, if you're a skeptic and you find that my claims sound either absurd, magical, or bizarre, well, you ain't heard nothing yet. So uh, stick around and perhaps you will begin to envy our access, our home here, this family dinner and our home here. <laughs> here. Oh, praise him. Praise him for his excellent greatness. Now, Will you proclaim to me? I love, you know, one of the reasons we have call and response is because I need to hear the truth of the gospel as much as you do. <laughs> I need to hear it, so speak it to me. Tell me, what is the mystery of faith? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Tell me, Christian, brother and sister, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, our Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Almighty. Judge the living and the dead. In the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.